Welcome to the show. I'm Brad Johnson, and this is the Do Business, Do Life podcast. I believe in the and approach to life and business instead of the either or. This show is my attempt to help financial advisors create unlimited growth and freedom in their life and their business through wide-ranging conversations with some of the most brilliant and interesting people on the planet. We refer to this mission as DBDL, doing business and doing life. What up, DBDL fam? This is Kristen Shea, and today Brad's going to be talking with Chandler Bolt, who is the CEO of selfpublishing.com, an Inc. 5000 company that he built from zero to $43 million in eight years and before even turning 30 years old. Chandler has authored six best-selling books that has helped thousands of people to write books that grows their impact, income, and business. Myself included, I am somebody who has gone through his course to help self-publish books. It was a huge game changer. And I'll just speak from experience when I say that writing a book has some major, major benefits when it comes to building a brand and a business. I think there's a huge difference between being a writer and being an author. And as an advisor who is a true author, right, it has the power to increase credibility, establish you as an authority, and set you apart from the advisor down the street. If you're a financial advisor who wants to write a book and leverage it to generate more business, Chandler's here to share his proven formula. Uh, Some of these proven formulas, by the way, come from outside of our industry. So please note that some of the strategies that Chandler shares here may not be directly transferable to the financial services world. For example, paying people to give out copies of your book. Make sure you run any new strategies past your compliance prior to implementing. Now, before we get to the show, we have something super special for DVDL listeners. Chandler had a private fireside chat with the Tried community where he pulled the curtain back on writing a book, leveraging it, launching it. In order to protect our members, unfortunately, we can't share the whole thing, all of the notes. But in order to add as much value as possible to the DVDL community, we're going to share some of the big takeaways and highlights of those notes. So to gain access, you're going to text the number 25, not the word, to the DVDL Insider phone number. That's 785-800-3235. We'll shoot you a text back with a link so you can grab uh, that bonus content. As always, please note text message and data rates may apply. You can opt out of receiving text messages at any time by replying stop to any message you receive. And if you'd like the show notes to this episode, including links to all the resources, books mentioned, and people discussed, you can grab those at bradleyjohnson.com forward slash 25. So that's it. As always, thanks for listening. Without further delay, today's conversation with Chandler Bolt. Welcome back to another episode of Do Business, Do Life. We have special guest Chandler Bolt here today. Welcome to the show, Chandler. Brad, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Well, you were kind enough. I believe we were first introduced by Michael Hyatt. I know we've both done some coaching with him and just obviously that that dude is as good as it gets. And uh, so any introduction I get from Michael, I'm like, okay, I don't know who they are, but I know they're good people. And uh, so he introduced us. And then as I got to know really you and your business, selfpublishing.com, I believe recently kind of rebranded. You hopped on and you were kind enough. You did a private, we we call them a fireside chat inside of the triad community and you crushed. Um, It was just like anything book related, how to launch, how to drive new appointments, how to write the book. And you just riffed for like 60 minutes and we had crazy feedback from our triad members that just like, wow, that dude just blew my mind. So it's only fitting we come back here for a public-facing conversation on the podcast. So I just almost just want to say, if you're a financial advisor and you want to write a book, what should you do, Chandler? I think I'll just let you run with that one, man. Yeah. When I think we ended up working with Kristen on her book too, as a result of that fireside chat. And it's been fun seeing all the stuff she's done with that book. I mean, so I think if you're a financial advisor thinking about writing a book, there's a lot of reasons to do it. One of the big ones that 
other financial advisors or kind of people in similar situations, one of the big reasons they do it is because they're tired of going one-to-one and they want to go one-to-many. And so we have this concept we talk about all the time. I know most people are probably listening to this, but at the off chance you're seeing the video, um, it says leveraged impact, right? And so leveraged impact means doing work once, creating this book, that book then goes on to impact thousands, tens of thousands, maybe even millions of people, right? And so that's leveraged impact. And so for a lot of people, if you're having to repeat the same thing over and over and over and over, right? You're just tired of talking about every new prospect, client, employee that you have to onboard, you got to train them in the same thing or say the same thing. Well, the best way to stop talking about that thing is to write a book on it and then point to that book. And so that is what we found. And then also, I mean, there's the, you know, if you want to become an authority, you can't spell the word authority without the word author, right? Uh, And so in the mind of your client, you become an authority by becoming an author. uh, And that is the virtual handshake. So we can get into a lot of like, I could go really deep into, hey, getting sales, leads, and referrals using a book. Like we've got a process that we teach and we can unpack that here. But I mean, the starting point is it brings leverage. You start having those conversations that you would be having one-to-one and now you're having them one-to-many through the conduit of a book. I love that. There's also the phrase, he or she wrote the book on it. And I found that to be so true. It's like, once you write a book, it becomes tangible and real. The idea becomes a physical manifestation of that. And so just to piggyback on everything you just said, and Michael Hyde, I remember he once told me, it's like there was life before the book and there's life after the book. And it's just a game changer for so many business owners. And I know you've helped a ton of people in many industries uh, bring that to life. So because I know my audience and because I know financial advisors, if they're like, wait, I can use a book to drive appointments or drive referrals, their ears perked up there. So let's maybe start there. What, mm-hmm. if you were, let's say they either have a book because many of our tribe members do have a book or they're in the process of writing a book. As soon as you get that book, how would you put that book to work for you? Mm, great question. There's a lot of different things I would do, but I mean, I, I think it starts with the three buckets of using the book to get more leads, more sales, more referrals, right? So more leads, these are people who hear about you because of your book, right? So there's a lot of people, my book published, they would they don't they have no idea what selfpublishing.com is but they see that book they read that book and they say oh wow this is interesting this was helpful i want to work with you guys so they read the book they book a call with my team they sign up to work with us right so that's the they find out about your business through the book then there's using the book to get more sales so this is i mean every advisor will have some sort of sales funnel from when someone hears about you to them maybe giving you their contact information, to them maybe setting up for an appointment or a consult, coming in office or virtual, um, to deciding to do business with you. And so the more sales piece is how do you use the book to grease the wheels of any or every part of that process, right? So if you give us our, your contact information, we'll give you this book. Or if you show up for this consult, we, I've got a physical copy of my book waiting on you it's totally yours for free. All you have to do is show up, right? Maybe So maybe you boost your show up rate. In the process, you boost your close rate because if they're choosing between two people and you wrote the book on it, that solves the problem that they have. Well, then they're more likely to choose you, right? So that's the more sales bucket. And then the more referrals bucket, I look at that as, as how do you turn customers or in some cases, even prospects into active referrers? And so the way that I recommend doing that is you give two copies of your book to every new client or prospect. And you say, hey, 
Most books don't come with strings attached. This one does. Like all I ask is that you read this one and you give this one to someone you know who needs help with this thing, right? In my case, it's like someone you know who needs help with the book, right? Um, or is thinking about writing a book. But obviously you translate that to the financial world. Um, and then, so then they would never go around passing out your business cards, right? But they might hand the book over to someone else. And, and you know, my mom raised me not to waste, uh, and so it's like I'm throwing away a business. A lot of people say a book is a new business card. I'm throwing away a business card. I mean, within 24 hours, <laughs> it's, it's not seeing the light of the day. But when someone gives me a book, I keep it, and it's in my office, it's in my house. And every time I see that book, I think of that person, and it's like, oh, I remember that author gave me that book. And so now you're top of mind. And when so, if someone's at their house or their office or wherever, hey, what's that book about? Oh, you can have it. Right. And, and so now they just referred you business. And one other like really small thing that we do, Brad, that, that might be helpful for you and might be uh, helpful for some of your advisors as well is we just have an easy link that people can remember. So it's whatever your URL is forward slash friend. Right. And so we just say, Hey, if you yeah. ever have anyone, you know, who's thinking about writing a book, just go to selfpublishing.com forward slash friend, I think is the one that we use, but just translate that to whatever your URL is. Right. And say, Hey, just go there and just fill in their information. We'll send them a book for free and tell them you sent it. Right. And so now all of a sudden we're adding value versus saying you should do business with us. We're just adding value, sending them a book. And so it helps them to more easily refer us business. So I know this is kind of a monologue there, but that's how I look at, okay, more leads, more sales, more referrals, plug it into your existing thing. And I'll go one final thing is if you already have a book, because I know you said, hey, some people already have a book, ship a physical copy of your book with a simple letter to every past customer or existing customer (laughs) and just say, hey, I would love to work with you again. Or do you know anyone that might want to work with us? Wanted to give you this free book. Hope you love it. We just, we've had people do that. And it just, they instantly, it's zigging when, other, when everyone else is zagging. In a digital world, you're sending an analog physical gift in the mail. Doesn't cost you that much. And you're probably all in seven to 10 bucks per package. And I just look at it as a cost of acquisition. If I'm giving away a book for five bucks or for 10 bucks, well, And if I get that contact information or an appointment or a customer, like I know what I would spend on any other channel for that. This is worth way more because it's a better quality lead and customer. Yeah. Well, I can promise you financial advisors are out there saying, if I could get a legitimate lead for seven to $10, I will do that all day, every day, all day long. Many of them spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to manufacture a first appointment. I also love the URL forward slash friend. I think the psychology of if you can let someone gift your book on their behalf, where it's like, hey, I was thinking of you. I actually got, I got you a free copy of Chandler's book, not Chandler sent you a free copy, right? So now I've got some social currency that's created by that gift that I created. And you're, you're creating an easy avenue for them to do that, which is, I love that idea. That's a really smart one. So let's look at your funnel because you've written a book. You've got this selfpublishing.com forward slash friends. The other benefit is now you know the information of a lead, right? Because you've got their physical address, you've got their name, so you can actually ship them a book. Where does it go from there in your personal business? Delivered book, is there a sequence now that they're in or is there a phone call that comes from someone on your team? What does that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. 
And as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, shoot, let me go to this page real quick. (laughs) Make sure this is working. So yeah. So basically what we do, and I know nobody will probably see this, but I mean, we just set it up. It's super simple. You say, hey, refer friends, change more lives through books, right? And so then we just make it super simple. Then they come straight down. We say, hey, invite a friend. And then you get 750 bucks if they decide to do business with us. Super simple, who's being referred and who's referring them and then submit. And then there's like an FAQ down there and all that stuff, right? So we've tested a couple of different things, I think. And I don't know if we do this still or not, but at one point we did a, it was a two-way referral program. We didn't invent this, obviously. This is a pretty common thing where it's like, you know, it's like somebody sending you their Uber Eats code or whatever. And it's yeah. like, oh, you get $30 off your first order and and I get $30 for sending it to you. So you're incentivizing mm-hmm. the referral. But I think we did that to start where it was, they get 250 bucks off and the person who refers them gets 250 bucks. And so that dual referral, but that person mm-hmm. basically just gets dropped into our contact follow-up where we say, hey, sent you a book. So-and-so sent you a book. We'd love to chat with you about your book. And then we follow up from there. I, admittedly, we're probably executing at like a five or six out of 10. Um, whereas I feel like a lot of financial advisors could probably execute a lot better. We get about 15 to 20,000 leads a month and we can't even call all of them. <laughs> um, so Is that it, all? Only, only 15 <laughs> to 20,000 a month? Is that, yeah, is that it, all? It, so it's like I know it just it, it's like cry me a river, right? We've got too many leads, we can't call our leads, but like so the way we approach a lot of lead warm-up is a little bit more like, all right, let's qualify and then hit the phones with all of our most qualified prospects, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But on the flip side, like if I'm paying hundreds, if not thousands of dollars a lead, then I'm gonna be, you know calling all of them three to five sure. in the first two weeks and like do probably what was is probably a more normal cadence for a lot of advisors. Yeah. Okay. Well, a couple different ways we could go here. You've got so many frameworks. I'm looking at my notes from our last conversation over here. If we go back to the three leads, sales, referrals that you can do with books. What are some of the best ways you've seen, and maybe these are other industries, not financial advisors, plug a book into their already existing sales funnel? So maybe they're doing live events, dinner seminars. Those are really big in finance. Maybe they're doing TV shows, radio shows, podcasts. What are things that come to mind that might be checked how to use a book to do drive leads, sales, or referrals off of some of those marketing funnels that you've seen work really well? Mm, yeah, great question. So would you say the the lunch and learn or the dinners or the in-persons, are those the most popular thing that people are doing? I would say in our space, that is probably marketing funnel number one. Yes. I see. And what's the biggest bottleneck with that funnel? Is it getting registrants? Is it show up rate? Is it close rate once they get there? Like what's typically the biggest bottleneck? So if you look, all of them, but if you looked at kind of as we go top of funnel down, Let's just start. Most of them send out a direct mail piece, which okay. just says, hey, join me at Roost Chris. And it's something like, hey, we're going to talk about the three things that could get in the way of successful retirement, whatever compliance mm-hmm. will allow them to say. So if they send out a direct mail piece that is to a certain investable asset, a certain mm-hmm. age demographic, response rates, if they're lucky, are 1%. So there's already a massive gap there. There's 99% that are not registering for that live event. Mm-hmm. So of the ones that register between 70 to 90% typically show up depending on how good the registration good. funnel is. 
And then from there, I would say another average is about 50% convert to book a first appointment. So about half the room uh, converts there. And then 70 to 80% of those actually show up for a first visit. So I'll just stop there, but that's kind of that far down the funnel. Okay, got it. Wow, that's really intriguing. So it feels like maybe top of funnel would be the best place. So, so it is can you include a free book in the offer for the Ruth Chris session? Oh, for sure. Actually registering like that to me is like, okay, that's the first place that I would look because a book, the book has inherent value, but so does the dinner. So I really would question whether or not that's going to move the needle there. Maybe it does. I think it would definitely be worth testing, but mm-hmm. it, if nothing else, it, it credentializes, right? So if you've got a cover of the book is come here, the author of X book, talk about the three things that prevent retirement. And oh, by the way, if you register, you're going to get a free book. And at the event, he'll be doing a book signing. Yeah. So, I mean, that just automatically just edifies that person from Johnny Finance down the street, you know? Johnny like, Finance. I don't know, I don't know who this is. <laughs> Love that. I'm going to say, hey, I'm going to use that one. Johnny Finance. <laughs> Love it. It's like Johnny Football. That's who I'm picturing. But so that, in my mind, that boosts your registrant rate and your show up rate. And so that's how I would look at it at the top of the funnel. But then when you, so that's the workshop funnel. We've worked with some chiropractors and physical therapists who have done something similar. They have similar kind of workshop models and they've done the book funnel on that, on that side of things too, can work pretty well. That's where the doesn't come with strings attached. That's where I got that idea actually was, is the number one chiropractor in all of Canada. And he said that he gave out about, I think it was about a thousand books over the course of a year and got like a hundred referrals or something crazy. So 10%, but it's like, if you look at the hard cost of all that, it's like, okay, he, he paid maybe 10 grand for those thousand books. And so his cost to acquire a customer was whatever, 10 grand divided by a hundred, not what's that a hundred bucks cost of acquisition and getting a really, uh, really good customer. But so that's how I look at it on the workshop level. And then some of the other stuff, I mean, I'm trying to think what I would do if I were a financial advisor, like I would do local PR for sure. That's something we advise for a lot of our, our folks is local TV, local radio, local newspaper, all that stuff. They won't bring you on to talk about your business, but they will bring you on to talk about your book. And now we're bringing mm. on the author of X book, talking about the three things that prevent retirement, right? And so I would just saturate that local market through PR. This kind of came for me, one of my early businesses, I ran a house painting business through student painters, college pro, you know, there's kind of multiple of these companies, but I work with student painters and we knocked on doors to convince people that they needed to let us do an estimate to be able to paint their house as a college kid, right? And then we're training high school door knockers and so they're knocking on doors as well. And I just remember one day I'm knocking on doors And I'm putting flyers on mailboxes. And I'm like, this just seems wildly inefficient. (laughs) It's like, I'm I'm talking to one person at a time. And not even that, like I got to knock on 20, 50 doors to even talk to one person sometimes. And so I'm like, well, how can I get in every mailbox? Like I'm putting flyers on mailboxes. I'm like, oh, hold up. Mm -hmm. Everyone gets a newspaper. And so then it just started clicking for me. So I'm like, all right, what if I spend an hour a week just reaching out to newspapers? And then I kind of expanded out to TV stations and stuff like that, local. And so that's what I recommend in this case is spend that hour a week or have someone on your team spend that hour a week, local TV, local newspaper. Now you've got, by the end of it, I had multiple 
features in newspaper. I was on TV. We had a proclamation from the mayor. We had all this stuff. And so when we started, it was like, yeah, low country student painters day. <laughs> it's like, we've got our own day, but it just was so. Where, where did you go? Where was this at? You said low country. Was this South Carolina? Exactly. Like yeah, it was in, yeah. it was in uh, Somerville, South Carolina is where I ran my, okay. uh, I'd never lived there, but I lived with my brother for that summer and ran my business. And so I went to college of Charleston, but yeah. So I think you, you know, my brother and his band and all that stuff need to breathe. And so it's like, at the same time, they're making hit records. I'm like sleeping on the couch, knocking doors, trying to start a painting business. And I had a, it's a zip code and some marketing materials. Like there were no contacts. I had, I knew no one, but it's just guerrilla marketing. I'm well, kind of I'm, losing the plot the, of what we're talking yeah, about. No, but. no, no. This is, <laughs> this is fun. Well, what, there's a few lessons here. Number one, you've always thought like an entrepreneur because that's 100% how an entrepreneur would think like problem to solve. What are some creative ways to do it? I'm just, for some reason, I got like a flash of Ferris Bueller's day off where like, you're this go-getter kid that the next thing you know, you're like leading a parade around the town while the mayor's like putting you on TV. But <laughs> you thought creatively, you said, Hey, problem to solve. This is a one-to-one back to what, how you started this conversation. Yes. A book is one to many. And right. so you've kind of thought about scale. And looking for okay. leverage, like that's the big thing is just how do I go one-to-one to one-to-many? And so I guess maybe even like landing the plane back to how this applies for advisors is I would look at PR and I would I would seriously pursue that. And then one of the ways that we do it, and I don't know how accessible this is, is kind of the similar model, but I'll go out and give talks and I give away my books like crazy. And so if I'm speaking at a conference, I'm bringing hundreds of books, typically enough for 40 to 60% of the room. And I'll say, hey, I brought some free books for anyone who wants one and I'll do a book signing afterwards. And so now we just lead collect, I mean, over half the room or you know, 30 to 50%, sometimes more than that. And it just, so I don't know if, if advisors have any opportunities that where they're speaking outside of a room that they own, then that's mm. a great way to say, all right, now I'm gonna use the book to do a massive lead collect. And there's a bunch of other yeah. things I could use on that, but that's how we use it kind of personally inside of the business. Well, where my head goes, EO, YPO, these kind of groups that are always looking for speakers, obviously you've got to be a high enough caliber speaker that it makes sense. But so let's say they are in a room, maybe it's like, hey, there's a community event they're invited to speak into as an author. How does that lead funnel work when you say, hey, I brought some free books, whoever wants one, like, are they hitting a, a stand in the back where you get their name, address? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, that's exactly how it works. Sorry, I'm stepping away from my mic for a second because I had to grab this. But we go old school. Now, we also will have a QR code on the slides. But Mm -hmm. we say, hey, here's a free copy of published. It it says says that on one side. And then the other side is just a simple contact card, right? And so it's name, email, phone number, city, state. And then they can check a box that says yes. But yes, I'd like to work with self-publishing school to write and publish my book and would love a free one-on-one session to custom design my book strategy, right? And then there's a question that says, where would you like to focus over the next 30 days? So instantly people are self-selecting, like the cream of the crop of like, I want to talk to someone. And so those are obviously our best leads. So we bubble that up. And then basically there's this whole flow of... I'm getting in the weeds here, but hopefully for you or for anyone else who's speaking, this will be really helpful because... The first year that I started speaking, we did a million dollars in sales for the business just from speaking. Spoke at 24 events. I don't think any of them I got paid to speak, but we did a, we did about 42,000 I think it was per event from this. And we still do this. I mean, a few weeks ago we did 
70, 100 grand, like on the spot um, at an event. And so basically what we do though, is I'll split the room at the end of the talk. And so I'll say, hey, how many of you are thinking about writing a book? It's like on the maybe someday, maybe next year list. I mean, they've just heard me talk about this, about how to do it, but it's like, hey, it's maybe someday, maybe next year. And, and okay, perfect. Fill, fill this out, hand it to my team. We'll give you a free copy of the book. That book's there whenever you're ready. And then how many of you, this is a this year thing or like, you know, next six months this year, like this is a priority. Okay, even better. We're sitting down with people while we're here. We'll map out a strategy for you to implement this and get your book done. And we'll talk to you about how we can help. And so then basically we just book 30 minute back-to-back sessions. And, and so, but we split the room so that obviously the people who are not interested in working with us in that moment, they just kind of self-select out. They're pumped. They're like, I got a book, 15, 20 bucks. He's just giving it to me for free. Awesome. And then if they check the box on this, maybe they check the box on this and then we can follow up with them while we're at the event or after the event, sit down with them, chat about working together, but then they can also self-select. It's kind of a really interesting thing. Like whenever we go speak at events, people are like, how in the world are you doing this? Like every other, everyone else's booth is just dead and Mm -hmm. our booth is just popping. And I had somebody the other day, I spoke at this event and he, he, he had a picture and he told, he's like, dude, I've never seen anyone rush a table like that. And it wasn't like, I was like, go to the back of the room right now. Like I, I didn't know. It was a throwaway comment. I was like, Hey, we've got books. We don't have enough for everyone. I think we got, you know, three or 400 of them. And it was an audience of like a thousand people. And so I'd love to give to them as many as we can. And then finished my talk, walked off stage. So I was backstage. So I didn't even see this. And apparently there was a massive line and the next speaker was on. And the event staff was having to come over to the booth and be like, you guys got to sit down because it was like in the, and it was in the main room and it's just so loud. So that's an example. And then another example from a couple of weekends after that similar thing, where just the booth is rocking and, you know, we've got a line of people waiting for signatures on books and stuff. And so then my team is in, is in there saying, Hey, what's your book about? Do you want to talk to the team? And so we're just booking appointments like crazy. And then that leads to a lot of business from those events. So that's kind of our event and speaking playbook. There's a lot of other different components of it, but it's really effective. Oh, and I'll mention one one other thing. If if anyone's going to exhibit at events or maybe locally or or, or beyond that as advisors is, is the books, it just sparks conversation at your booth. So even when we're not speaking, we call them SDRs. It's like the person who's setting appointments, right? So they're at the booth. And the question is like, oh, hey, did you get your free book yet? When, when someone's walking by and they're holding the book, they're like, oh, hey, did you get your free book yet? And they're like, what? No, I, I didn't. What's that about? It's like, oh, just fill this out. Perfect. And then now they're filling out the thing. It's like, okay, hey, what if you were to write a book, what would your book be about? And then now they're in a conversation, right? And then mm-hmm. maybe they just leave with the book. And then when we're at events, it's like people are seeing this book everywhere. It's like, everyone's got to, you just kind of taking over the conference and people are like, what's that red book? Like, what's going on with that thing? Where do you get that? And so it just creates this, this virality and word of mouth. And it's just wildly effective to lead collect, to bring in customers, all that stuff. I love that. I didn't want to ruin your flow there. That's a stellar idea. And we'll relate how that could be implemented by financial advisors. But if you are listening on audio only, there is a YouTube version of this. Chandler just held up the actual card and kind of talked through it. So if you're curious, just go out to the YouTube channel, do business, do life, you'll find it. And you can see the visual there. Two things off of that. Number one, Dan Kennedy. Are you familiar with, with that name mm-hmm. at all? He's mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. So, so 
you took me back when you were talking about people rushing the booth. Dan Kennedy is the guy that I saw do that first. This was Cleveland, Ohio, in a little dumpy hotel when I was probably 28 years old. And he did the same thing. And it was a room full of financial advisors. And he's like, here's this thing. And there was probably 100 people in the room. He's like, we've got 20 slots. And you should have, they were like guys throwing haymakers, crawling all over each other. So just the psychology of that, I think, is, is something you can always use, which is, hey, we brought as many as we could, but we don't have enough for the whole room. So if you're interested, go get them. And I've seen that in, in other events. I saw Tony Robbins do that one time, and that was, that was interesting. But I love the psychology, which I'm guessing mm-hmm. that's a little bit of it. Is that fair? Yeah. Oh, no yeah. doubt. No doubt. And I mean, it's also just the logistics of like, we don't want to have to take a bunch of books back home. (laughs) So we ship for 40 to 60% of it. And we know that it will create scarcity and urgency around the book. And we also want to make sure that we get rid of all of them so that we're not having to fly them back or whatever else. Yeah. So the second piece of that is I love that splitting the room concept. And I'm just looking through the lens of a financial advisor doing a dinner seminar. If we incorporate the idea you shared earlier where, hey, Come out to our, this this event we're hosting. And by the way, everybody that shows up, you get a free copy of the book. We'll do a little signing. Another take on that could be you offer a book to those that book an appointment. Totally. Where my, head, where my head goes is you split the room of who here is planning to retire within the next 6, 12, 24 months, or actually outside of that. No, here's the book. So Get the information on how to make the most out of your retirement. By the way, when you're ready, we're here. It might make sense to come in and see us about your individual scenario. But if they're planning to retire inside of that window, here's what you should do. And it's number one, we'll still give you the book when you come in for your first visit, but you need to take action. You need a consultation on your one-on-one sort of deal. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts you have? You've played this out a lot more than I have. I'm just ideating right now, but. I think you could certainly, uh, there's a lot of ways you could spin it. I mean, you could do it exclusively for people who book appointments now, but you kind of stop the funnel at the show rate. And so I'd be curious is for most advisors, is it like, Hey, don't waste my time. I, I don't want a bunch of junk appointments on my calendar. Or is it more like, Hey, the close rate is 30%. So I'll take, I would rather have more appointments and maybe they're slightly lower quality. Cause then it's like, book an appointment, you get a book or something like that. And you could use that right? or you use it as a social proof mechanism to say, Hey, I'll give whoever a book, but if you book an appointment, then skim it before our first session. And so now they're showing up to that session primed and already kind of indoctrinated into how you do things and more likely to purchase. Yeah. I like your original idea. It blows my mind because if you think about, I mean, to send out a direct mail piece, most advisors that do this consistently, they're dropping six, eight, 10,000 mail pieces because they're working with, if they're lucky, the 1%, it's probably closer to a half percent that, that raised their hand. I just look at how could you better use that mailer real estate to, if they don't, because it's almost like marry me on the first date, right? You're driving across town. I'm sitting in the room with a bunch of strangers and I know it's some form of a sales presentation. It's almost like, what if you use that mail piece to say, hey, if you're not planning to retire, if you're just curious about retirement and you're not necessarily at the stage where it makes sense to attend our live event, go to selfpublishing.com forward slash friends or whatever, free book. And you could actually get generate 
people that just want to go on a first date, but they're not ready to marry you, you know, by going to the live experience. I've just seen some other ways you could potentially work a book into the mailer where you're at least generating warmer leads as opposed to the ones that they come in and see you. Yeah. I'm just, yeah, that's an interesting thought. Cause my mind goes to probably two places. It's like, number one, confused people don't buy. So my mind would true. be like, all right, I want to have one call to action. And, and I would just want to narrow in what that thing is. And when in doubt, be super generous, giving a bunch of people books. That would kind of be my, because mm-hmm. if I've got a book, I'm now in their home. And if I'm in their home, they're going to think about me when they need it in the future. And so it's just like, how could you, with the Venn diagram of those two kind of decision-making criteria would be kind of how I would look at it. And then you mm-hmm. can hone the messaging to boost your response rates. Well, the truth is that seven or 10 bucks a package it might make, make sense to just do a mailer on a free book. Hey, totally. free book on retirement just published. Like just totally. manufacture a ton of leads. Yeah. Now, you'd have to have, you'd have to have, yeah. Because how much are your advisors spending per mailer? Mailers are two, three, four, five grand, depending on the style and how many. But I guess Sometimes on more. a per unit basis, what, like a buck a piece? Oh, like a wedding style invites like 50 cents probably. I see. Got it. That would be a really interesting use case, right? Because you're obviously going to, you're going to explode your costs if you're sending books. But if you could go higher net worth zip codes in your area and then go Mm. straight book and send them an actual book, you know, this is definitely getting opened. And I would suspect that the response rate would be higher because there's reciprocity, but even potentially on the follow on, it's almost like you send the book as the primer. And then now when your other stuff shows up, it's like, Hey, I'm the guy that sent you that book. Mm -hmm. And so just the likelihood of, uh, I mean, I'm just thinking about like, I bought my first home and I've never owned a home before. And so it's like maybe a weird use case, but I, I live on the lake in Austin, which is like a high end area. And like, we just get absolutely nuked with direct mail. I mean, just like, I think people are like, these these guys are rich. Like, if there's one place we're sending this direct mail, it's to these cats over here. Um, and I'm just thinking like how much that would stand out, right? If someone's sitting yeah. in a cool thing, I'm like, oh, hold up. What's the, what's, I must know this person. Like, they sent me a book. Like, yeah, there was. The um... Psychology of that. There was a, an advisor I crossed paths with. His name was David. I'm trying to remember his last name. This was like a decade ago. And what he did was a lumpy mail campaign, exactly what you're talking about. But he, what he did was he, he cranked the minimum up. So I think it was 500K, a million investable assets. The cool thing is mail houses have that pretty dialed in where they can, where mm. they can target the mailer that way. And I think it was a million plus that he targeted. And he did a campaign of three or four mailers. One of them was like a diary talking about writing their dreams for retirement. One of them was like, I forget, he got pretty creative with it, but the ROI was astronomical. And so I love your idea of you could actually, if you bump the minimum up, say a million, two million, if it's the right area, you know, if it's, if it's your area in Austin, I'm guessing there'd be quite a few, but actually send them a free book. Hey, mm-hmm. this, this book just dropped. We want to get it in as many retirees' hands as possible to make an impact. But the layering on of like, you give them the free book, then the next invite might be an ultra-exclusive, like high-end restaurant where the author, they've already got your book, is going to do a live book signing. 
and talk about the three biggest things every retiree should make sure they're covered on, whatever, you know, that could be interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Authors in town doing a book signing. Yeah. (laughs) Now the author also lives in town. (laughs) The author, yeah, author also. (laughs) Yeah. That's funny. That's fun. That's, uh, hey, this is fun. And nothing like just a a random uh, mastermind strategy session on a podcast, right? Yeah, right. By the way, for those of you that follow Chandler, complete way off topic here, but this dude has more fun than just about it. Like we're friends on Facebook and you're on the lake and I'm, I'm like living vicariously through you because you're playing pickleball in your backyard. I think you just built the, the fun house so that people can come over and then yes. you got the boat where you're like wake surfing or whatever it's called. And I'm like, I just need to fly down just to hang out for a couple of days because it looks like you're always having a great time. I would love that. I mean, it's it's kind of a, yeah, I guess this is pretty off topic, but I like building a place where I can just, I love hosting, probably just because mm-hmm. I'm from the South, but love bringing people together. And so I'm also like 20 minutes outside of the city. So I want there to be an easy reason for people to say yes to me, them coming here versus me going the other way around. And so- <laughs> So it's selfish, I guess. Oh yeah, I mean, definitely. It saves me time. I don't like being in the car. And so I love being able to end my work day at 5.15, walk out and play pickleball versus to get in a, a court is impossible. You're driving around, you're waiting. You don't get to play that much, like they're packed. And so just being able to to host and, and bring people together. I don't know if it's, I don't know if you have a similar philosophy with your kids, but my, my mom's thing growing up was always just like, always invite kids over to our house. Cause if they're here, we know what they're doing. <laughs> and uh, so I'd rather, she's 100%. like rather cook extra and do the, all the extra stuff. Cause if you're here, we know what's going on and we know the rules that we have here. So bring mm-hmm. them over. And yeah, maybe that's where that comes from. Well, this, this podcast is called do business, do life. So we talk a lot about life. We talk a lot about leveling up as a, as a husband, as a wife, as a parent. And so I love that you, you took me back to the first front row dads retreat I ever went to. We were talking about John Broman, who's, who's in Austin as well, runs an incredible podcast called front row dads. But the very first one, John Edmonds, I think was the guy he was in the Cutco mafia. There's like 15 Johns that all worked at Cutco at this event. And you probably know all of them, Ruland, Broman, Berghoff, all of those guys, uh, John Kane. And anyway, he used that exact same philosophy. He's like, here's the deal. We open our home. We want all of our kids' friends to consider our house like open, like we're, they're always welcome. And it was for that exact same reason. He's like, we know the rules here. We are going to have a good time, but we're also going to make sure that things are, are by our rules and we're raising great kids. And literally last night, Chandler, my wife, Sarah, and I were talking about we probably need to put a pool in the back of the house because we want our house to be the, the community center where our kids aren't roaming around all over the place. And so spot on. I, I couldn't agree That's more. Awesome. You just did it as an adult. That's all. You say what? I said, you just did it as an adult. You kept it going because you don't have any children. You don't I have, have any kids children, yet. No, right? No. Yeah. Yeah. Not yet. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Well, I'd be doing you an injustice. We've talked about books a lot here. And by the way, if you're listening in and you're an advisor out there, like Chandler knows his stuff, we'd like hit the tip of the iceberg. He did a, a private call. I'm looking at pages of notes over here that he shared with the triad community. But you've also scaled businesses incredibly quickly. And so I would love for you to maybe kind of rewind the idea of what was self-publishing 
school and is now selfpublishing.com. How did the idea come to be? How quickly did you start to realize, hey, I think I'm onto something. We're scaling this and now I need help. Like kind of walk us through that startup entrepreneurial journey because I think a lot of advisors will uh, relate to that. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of the least likely to succeed with this whole book thing. I'm a college dropout and a C-level English student with ADHD. And so I dropped out of school because I, I was tired of learning how to run a business from professors who have never in businesses. That made no sense. But as I was dropping out, I knew that I had some personal life experience that I thought would be helpful for people. And basically, the, well, the first book, it was the, these 15 things. My brother and I were talking and you know we were both from a small town where... It's like you got three or four career options and that's pretty much it. It's like, well, you could do this, you could do this or this. And Sounds so like where I grew up, man. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. And so he went on to be very successful as a musician, which everyone was like, Hey, when are you going to quit doing this music thing and get a real job? And then mm-hmm. me as a business guy. So we basically realized, Hey, there's these 15 things our parents taught us growing up that we thought were, were normal. But then we got out in the real world and realized no one gets taught this stuff. And so we said, hey, we should write a book on this. So that, and it would be his perspective as a musician. Like I said, my, my perspective as a business guy. And so we wrote a book on it and I wrote and published like that book and one other book as I was dropping out and they did pretty well. And then people said, hey, how are you doing this? And so at first it was just, I get on the phone with somebody for an hour for free just to be a nice person and teach them what I knew and just say, hey, good luck. I hope that helps. And then you do enough of those. And it's kind of like, you only get smacked in the face so many times before you turn around and look and you turn around and look right. and there's a whole line of people there asking for that thing. So that's where it really kind of morphed into a business. We said, hey, let's sell the first kind of beta version of that program. And we had 44 authors and I think it was over 60% of them wrote and published a book in less than six months, which wow. is a crazy success rate, especially for that big of a life thing on that short of a timeline, right? So then that gave me the confidence to say, hey, I think we got something here. And that is what became self-publishing school and then ultimately now selfpublishing.com. And so just to give the, the high level for people, I mean, we've published about 7,000 books in the last eight years. We've been on the Inc. 5,000 list a bunch of years in a row. That helped me to get Forbes 30 under 30 and a bunch of other stuff. And we basically went from zero to a little over $50 million in that time period. So we just passed the $50 million mark two months ago at the time of the recording this. And so have scaled a lot. Obviously, that's the highlight reel. There's a lot of... I mean, it's a roller coaster, but that's how I got into it. And then um, kind of the overview of, of, of what we've scaled in that time period. So eight years ago and 7,000 books, which is a lot. If we rewind, you obviously wrote a book with your brother, but was the actual book publishing business, was that Chandler Solo when it started a one-man show? <laughs> it's so funny you ask. I had started, there was three of us, me and two business partners, and then... One guy wasn't really doing that much work, classic founder disagreements. And so then we said, all right, we just split up. And then me and the other guy came and basically started from scratch and started Mm -hmm. what self-publishing school. So the first iteration was called the best-selling book system. And uh, Mm -hmm. so then we left that and we started self-publishing school. And then that was going well when we were scaling. And then I showed up to, this is more more answered than your question, but then I, I showed up to an offsite. And we had already hit seven figures with this business. And I found out from one of my employees, my business partner was trying to kick me out of the business. And I was like, oh, shoot. Well, that's not good. <laughs> and so... Definitely not good. 
you know, not a good day at the office. It's actually boring in, in, in an office. We were at the offsite. And so basically we went through mediation and negotiated a, a buyout. And it was a multiple six-figure buyout. And I borrowed money from my parents' retirement. I borrowed money from my brother. And I borrowed mm. money from Hal Elrod, actually. And Did so you really? Wow. Those, those okay. I guess, technically four people, but three groups of people. And so then that it was on the line. So I bought them out. And then the business was losing money at the time. We were hemorrhaging cash. Basically, I had to do a big turnaround. And then that was a big moment where paid off all the debt in the next, whatever it was, about 12 months or so. And have been scaling ever since. But long answer wow. to a short question of there was multiple partners and now it's just me. How long ago was that buyout? When did that occur? 2016. 2016. Let's talk about the psychology of that. Because like, that's that's a low low, man. Like you're you're in a business. Yeah, it's like, brutal. It's it's almost it's almost like infidelity, like in a relationship, right? It's like what the heck? And uh, how'd you process that? How'd you battle through that? Because that that sucks. And then now you're having to borrow money from your parents' retirement to do a turnaround. How'd yeah. you navigate that mentally? Oh, it was brutal. I had a really great support system, though. I mean, that was the big thing that helped me through that. Because there was a lot of things bubbled up where. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this where it's, who am I if I'm not this business? Like I was about to lose the business. I'm like, well, hold up. That's Chandler. And having to learn like, no, that's self-publishing school. This is Chandler. These are two separate things with two separate identities, which to this day is very difficult. Even though I intellectually understand this, it's like, I find that a lot of my personal identity is tied up into how well the business is doing. And that's just a really hard thing to decouple. But that was a big thing to work through. And then, yeah, obviously borrowing money from your parents' retirement. Uh, I mean, that's not a great place to be. <laughs> there's failure. Yeah. There's no, there is no option. And yeah. so that was really tough. It was a kind of a dark period, but I just had a, a lot of really good support system who are like, hey, we're, we're here for you, encouraging me, texting me daily, like stuff like that. And so that really helped me get through it. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> it just instantly the clarity of like, all right, there's an urgency because I got to pay back my parents' retirement. And there's the clarity of there's no one to blame anymore. I think about Mm. in a similar time period, I read Extreme Ownership, which I think is one of the best Mm. books of all time. And just realizing like, hey, I had been pointing to a lot of other people. It's like, oh, my business partner. Now I can't do that. (laughs) Right. It's like, well, who's making the decisions? You made the decision. And, you know, maybe you're pointing, uh, I'm pointing my employees. It's like, okay, well, you thought they were amazing when you hired them. And then you led them and managed them. You're the common denominator. Like, if that didn't work, it's your fault. And so just that it was very liberating to just be able to say, all right, well, if this failed, if this totally burns to the ground, it's my fault. And, if it does well, I've got no one to blame, which is funny. I'm sure you recognize this, Brad. It's like the classic leadership thing. It's like now, especially having a team, it's like, well, if this goes really well, we have a great team. And if this goes very poorly, it's all my fault. <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's a John Wooden coaching principle. I remember the first time I heard that where every time they won a game, man, team did great. Assistant coaches did great. Anytime they lost a game, my fault. And Mm. that's really, really hard as a leader because it takes humility. Mm -hmm. It honestly sometimes takes taking fault when it probably wasn't fully on your shoulders, but you do it anyway, you know? Mm -hmm. And so Jocko spoke at our launch event in Austin 
Like, That's dude, cool. like That's I failed cool. you wow, miserably thanks. because <laughs> I was in Austin. I didn't hang out, but I, I think I just realized you were in Austin before we went live here, but I love the extreme ownership because there's many times. And if you're a financial advisor out there, listening, 15 years of, of phone calls, tens of probably thousands of hours at this point, but it's very common. I've seen fingers pointed everywhere. And the truth is, I remember I had this breakthrough with this client. And this was after hearing the same story for like two years. And I'm like, man, I'm going to have to like be real on this one. And it was always like, oh, this employee sucks at this. This employee sucks at that. And I'm like, who hired him? And they were like, what? I'm like, who hired him? And he, I think he thought it was like a trick question at first. And he goes, uh, me? And I go, so whose fault is it? if they're not the right employee. And it was like that, like, I wasn't trying to be a jerk about it. I was just like, dude, like, okay, you need to change something with your hiring process, your training process. There's obviously something broken if the right people aren't on the team, but it takes exactly what you said, extreme ownership. Like at the end of the day, if I'm the guy running the company, it's my fault if something's broken. Oh yeah. And I just, I, I love that. And it's this, the moment you cross that line as a leader, to your point, it's like, it's almost like, you're free. It's like, oh, cool. Like I actually have clarity now. Yeah. Like I, I can make decisions that, that make an impact here. So fun story. I don't know if this product's live yet. Jocko's got a mirror coming out. Did you know this? Mm-mm. So a mirror, like just that you'd hang on a wall and show your reflection. Two words at the bottom. Guess what it says? I mean, maybe extreme ownership. Problem identified. <laughs> don't you love that? I was like, dude, he's going to sell so many of those mirrors. He's an incredibly intelligent business guy. It's pretty awesome to see. That's super smart. That's funny. Yeah. Well, well, hey, Chandler, I know you probably have pickleball to get to. So you were super generous with your time. I've just got one final question on my side. Unless you have any, any parting thoughts on just books in general or financial advisors, what they should do. I've just got one more, more life question than anything else. Hit me. Okay. So this is the Do Business, Do Life podcast. And one of the, it is our mission at Triad, Do Business, Do Life. We believe in the and approach versus the either or, which is like, you can do both. You can create freedom. You can create joy. You can create growth in your business without having to trade off if it's built the right way. More integration. So I'm curious. I know you like to have a good time. I also know you've grown an incredible business. So what is Chandler Bolt's definition of Do Business, Do Life? Mm. Yeah, I think it's twofold. One, I talk to my team about this all the time. It's like, I want to build something that we can tell our kids and grandkids about and that years from now, decades from now, we'll be able to point back to and say, hey, I helped build that. And to do that, you need to do business and do life with a core group of people over a long period of time and go deep. And so that means we prioritize in person, we prioritize relationships, we prioritize getting people together and being very intentional about building relationships, having high standards and calling each other to a standard of excellence. And so I think that's what that means on in a lot of ways for me. And then do business, do life. I think in another way, the way I look at that is I and my team, I want us to always be all on and all off. And so it's like, when I'm at work, I'm at work. When I'm not at work, I'm not at work. And so I think having the kind of those where they're both integrated, but there's also healthy boundaries of like, all right, hey, I don't want you checking your email while your kids at where you're at the beach with your kids. Like you're off for a reason. Set yourself up so that you can be off and then don't respond to emails, right? Or do Slack or whatever. But then when you're on, 
same thing applies. I don't want you being half on, half in, distracted, like be here. And I think that allows us, we always talk about, you know, it's, it's Jocko's discipline equals freedom. Like we have a remote mm-hmm. team. So that's a beautiful thing, but we have to be disciplined within that to be able to have that freedom to be able to do those things. So that's where I think it's like the, when you integrate business and life together, it's like, it takes extreme discipline to be able to create some really magical integration that can happen. So that's kind of how I look at it. Love that, man. Thanks for sharing that. Well, as always, you over delivered as I knew you would. So thanks so much, Chandler, for for taking your time, sharing your wisdom when it comes to books and, and building businesses and everything else we got into. And uh, yeah, man, until we're playing pickleball or on a lake someday. Thank you, Brad. I appreciate it. All right, bud. Take care. All right. Thanks for checking out this week's episode. On to this week's featured review. It comes to us from Killer Wolf 40 and they say five stars, no better podcast out there. I've been following Brad's podcast journey since 2015, and there hasn't been a single episode I didn't enjoy. Always bringing on great guests and asking the right questions. Three episodes in, and I already know this new podcast is going to change the game for not only financial advisors, but anyone that listens and wants to learn something new. Do business, do life. Couldn't have picked a better name for a podcast that will change lives professionally and personally. Looking forward to the future of this podcast. Well, first off, thanks for the kind words. And it's really cool to see those that listen to the prior show, how the new show and the framework are resonating. The past show, we talked a lot about doing business and doing live. But with the new show, we really wanted to make that the mission. And there's a lot of different ways to go about that. And there's a lot of different definitions for how to integrate business and life, because it's very specific to the individual that's defining what that means to them. But I once heard happiness defined as lack of wanting to be anywhere else, but where you are in that present moment. And that's one of the things I've seen on the pursuit of doing business and doing life is really building your business in a way and really looking at the things you desire to do on a daily and weekly basis. And there is no perfect week. But how can you design the ideal calendar and the ideal vision to head in that direction to where as you grow and scale, you get to do more and more of the stuff you love and less and less of the stuff you don't. And what's crazy is done intentionally and done well, building a team around you where your drudgery zone is their desire zone and vice versa. And it's really cool to see how we've seen firms already start to go down that path and really empower and create not jobs for their team, but career paths. And so, yeah, that's kind of doing business and doing life as you continue to do this journey of life is how can you create a business that serves that life you want to lead and doesn't become the life, the business itself. So with that, thanks for listening in, y'all. We will catch you on next week's episode. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Do Business, Do Life podcast. As we wrap, for access to show notes, transcripts, and exclusive content from all of our show's guests, don't forget to visit bradleyjohnson.com forward slash podcast. And before you go, I've got a quick favor to ask. If you're liking the podcast, you can help support the show by leaving your rating and review on iTunes. Not only do we read every single comment, but this will help the show rank and get discovered by new listeners and other financial advisors out there that can benefit from the show. Trust me, it really does help. 
So thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode. These conversations are intended to provide financial advisors with ideas, strategies, concepts, and tools that could be incorporated into their advisory practice. Advisors are ultimately responsible for ensuring implementation of anything discussed is in accordance with any and all regulatory and compliance responsibilities and obligations. 